Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. I know for a fact this is a lot of yours first time here. We appreciate you guys coming on out. Uh, my name is John Agrippa. I am the lead pastor around here. We are wrapping up this series that we've been in called Imagine. And because it is your first time here, let me catch you up to speed as to what we've been talking about this conversation. Essentially, this is one big conversation about our faith. More specifically, it's about our faith journey, where we've been, where we are, where we would like to see our faith go, and more specifically, where God would like to see our faith go. And every single week, we have been touching on the various methods, it's kind of the word that I'm using, the various methods, the various ways that God works in our life to build up our faith. And each week, we've been spotlighting a number of these methods. And his ultimate goal is to get us to a place where we have that big, bold, unshakable faith that no matter what we go through, good or bad, we know with 100% confidence that he is real, that he knows our name, that he is aware of our situation, and that he has a plan for our life. Today, as we kind of wrap up this series, I want to spotlight one sort of, I'm gonna, it's a method, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that he uses, and I, and I think it has impacted all of our lives. I think perhaps for some of you, he is working in this area today, right now as we speak. And if you're a Christian in the room, I would just tell you that at some point, you are going to be involved in this method. I would describe this area as sort of personal ministry. It's not the greatest word, but it's kind of the only thing that I could think of. Let me explain to you what this means. When I talk to people about their faith story, and they kind of tell me about, you know, here's who I am, here's what I've been through, here's where I am as a Christian today. One of the stories that I will hear very, very frequently is they'll say, you know, John, there was this time that I saw this need. I saw a need in my community. I saw a need in my friend's circle. I saw a need at work. I saw a need at school. I saw a need at the gym. This, this opportunity, shall we say, presented itself. And I couldn't shake the feeling. This need, it was just, it was on my heart. It was in my mind, no matter, I just, like, what, I just, I just couldn't seem to shake this thing that, I, like, this conviction, if you will, about this particular thing going on in or around me. And yet, they would say, I couldn't stop thinking of all the reasons why I couldn't help out. I couldn't stop thinking about all the limitations that, that, that would prevent me from getting involved and helping out in this need, whatever it could be. You know what? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough education. That's beyond my skill set. That's outside my level of expertise. Any number of limitations that were preventing me from getting involved in it. And yet, in spite of all that, it just felt like God was calling me to say yes. And so I stepped out in faith, and I acted. And John, I got to tell you, God did something amazing in the midst of all that. What God did, what he did in me and through me and allowed me to witness, it was amazing. And my faith has never been the same since then. What I want to talk to you about today is that tension that we feel. I want to put a spotlight on that tug of war that we feel when we begin to see a need and yet we talk about all the reasons why we can't go and meet that need. Because I think that some of you right now are in the midst of that tug of war with God. And the issue at hand in this tug of war, it's not that need, whatever that looks like. In your, it, it, it's not that if you say no, 
that need is going to go unmet because let me just tell you something. God's always going to meet the need. If you don't say yes, he'll find somebody else to say yes. But what is at stake here in this tension, in this apprehension, in these limitations that we start putting in front of ourselves? What's at stake here is your faith. Because what God is trying to do in this moment, in this tension, is to invite you outside of your comfort zone, to invite you to step outside of your skill set, to invite you to step beyond your level of expertise, because when you do, you will see your faith grow in a way that perhaps you never saw before. And you will witness God doing things that you didn't think possible. One of the greatest illustrations of this uh, principle, if you will, is found in a very famous story in the New Testament. And it's the kind of story that if you've been at church any length of time, you're going to know it. I'm going to sort of read the first couple of lines and go, ah, I know how this ends. But just like I asked you last week, just tap the brakes, okay? Try to experience the story alongside the characters. I think that's the way for it to be most beneficial. So it starts off in Matthew chapter 14. Just drops right into the story like this. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. So what is the news? The news is Jesus just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. John had been preaching out against this marriage that King Herod got himself into, sort of an illegal marriage, an illicit marriage. And John, in a way that only John could do, was just railing against this marriage. And finally, they arrested him, and then they lopped his head off. And Jesus got wind of this, and he was destroyed. And we talked about last week, Jesus mourned. So he went away to go be by himself and just process what has happened. So he gets on this boat. It continues. And it says, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Again, see this all the time in the New Testament. Wherever Jesus was, people followed him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to hang on his every word. They wanted to see what he was going to do. Continues. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. All right, he was trying to get away, but when he got there, he saw everybody was there and he had compassion on them. Unlike me, I would have flipped out. I'd have been like, really, guys? I mean, come on, like, okay, can we not just for five minutes give me a little bit of, but look, he just, he healed them. He had compassion on them. Disciples, they showed up. It says that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I was trying to get away from, I'm aware of this. Thank you. And then they go, you know, it's already getting late. Jesus, would you send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves? So what you see here in this instance is is these disciples, they see a need. They see an opportunity, okay? These people need to eat. These people are hungry. Disciples themselves are like, you know what? We're a little hungry ourselves. Peter's getting hangry. You don't want that, okay? Lop somebody's ear off or whatever. And he goes, Jesus, there's a problem here. There's a need to be met. Would you meet the need? Would you send them away so they can go get their food? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Jesus says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. You feed them. So Jesus is looking at this, quite frankly, enormous crowd. We'll get to that in a second. He realizes it's a remote location. He realizes they're hungry. He's feeling a little peckish himself, Right? And he goes, you guys meet, you feed them, you meet 
the need. And right then and there, those disciples are feeling a tension that I think so many of us feel because we feel this need, we see this need, you know, we kind of ask Jesus to kind of, you handle it, and then we get in this tug of war, and it's, it, we just keep feeling like God is saying, you meet the need, you do it, you feed them. And I think we sort of respond in that moment like many Christians do. And we say, well, I don't meet needs, I pray for needs. Isn't that true? I'm a prayer warrior, okay? What's the need? I'll pray for that need. Church needs a couple of volunteers. Dear God, would you just bring, you know, somebody that could, you know, fill that need down there in the nursery? God, you know, I know the kids' school, they need that coach right now. Could you just please send somebody that, oh, there's this mission trip going. Hey, Lord, would you just provide somebody that might be able to fill this need? And you just keep praying it, and it just keeps coming back. God's like, I want you to do it. I need you to step. What do we do? We push back. We start listing off our limitations. Why? Because when we see these opportunities, we begin to view them through the filter of our own abilities. Yes, our hearts might be burdened. Yes, we can't get this need off our minds, but what do we say? Uh, I'm not equipped to do that. I, I just, I, I don't have the education for that. You know, what if I volunteer at the church and somebody asks me a hard question? I've only been a Christian for six months. I don't answer that kind of a question, right? No, you know, help out of the kid's school. I don't have any business doing that. There's somebody else that could do a much better job than I. If we're honest, that's all of us. I mean, isn't it? This is really how every single one of us responds when we begin to feel that push or that pull to serve. Disciples are no different. Disciples look at Jesus and they go, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. They look at this enormous crowd and they look at this need. They look at Jesus saying, I want you to do it. And they go, well, we're not prepared. We don't have the resources. We're not equipped to do what, what you're asking us to do. This is a huge, massive need, Jesus. We only have five loaves of bread. We only have two fish. Jesus looks at them and says, well, bring them here. He hears, he hears what they say. He hears all of their limitations. And he goes, no, 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 Bring me what you have. And I think Jesus says that to every single one of us. There's this calling on our heart. There's this need that we sense. And we begin to rattle off all the limitations we could possibly think of, whatever it is. And Jesus goes, stop, 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 stop. You've only been a Christian for six months? Bring me the time that you have. You, you've only gone to college for one year? Bring me the education you have. You only have 30 minutes on a Saturday to go help at your kid's school? Bring me the time that you have. So the disciples hear this, and they hand him the two fish. They hand him the five loaves of bread. And it says, then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples. They hand Jesus what they had which is basically enough for one meal. And he breaks it up, and then he hands it right back to him. And I just feel like they're looking at him, they go, did he just hand us back what we just gave him? Yep, okay. Like, I don't want to turn around, guys, but like, is that crowd still back there? Because my man just handed me a couple of bits of bread, and I don't think this is going to feed that guy in the first row. But then they do something very simple, and yet life-changing. Jesus hands back to them what they handed him, 
and they distributed it to the people. They felt a need. They expressed the need to God. God invited them to meet that need, and then they just acted. They made a decision, and what they did that day for us, I believe, is an inspiration for our own lives. All they did is that they did what they knew how to do. They didn't know how to feed 5,000 people. That is beyond their purview. That is beyond sort of, you know, their pay grade. That is beyond their skill set. But they did know how to take a little bit of food to, you know, that guy over there. And, And maybe that person over there. See, they are trusting that if they just do what they know how to do, then God will step up and do what they couldn't do. That if they do what they know how to do, that God would do what only he knows how to do. And this is a lesson for every single one of us. That when God puts a a need on our hearts, when God begins to burden our hearts, our responsibility is just to take that first step. Just do what you know how to do and trust that God will do what only he knows how to do. This tension that they're feeling in that moment, that fear, that apprehension, when they start spouting off all the things that are preventing them from doing it, and we're all there. See, what's going on there in that moment? And we've all been there. That is God actively stretching your faith muscles. That is God actively trying to break down your faith muscles to build them up stronger, to build them up to a place where you never thought was possible. And he can only do it through one of these types of circumstances. In May of 2010, I was at this point halfway through my master's degree program at seminary. Now, in my particular program, there were, in essence, two tracks you could put yourself on. One track was pastoral, meaning pastor, pastoral. The other track could best be described as academic. Now, I had spoken with my senior pastor at the time, and, and, and you know, he encouraged me. He said, John, based on your education in English, based on your abilities to write, I really believe, he was telling me, I, I believe that you, God could use you in a big way if you got involved in some kind of Christian, political, think tank, organization, that kind of a thing. So with that, I listened to him, and I, and I, and I put myself not on the pastoral track, but on the academic track with, with the idea of going to be involved in one of these think tanks. Now, in May of this year, halfway through, I grew up in New Jersey, and I'm up there visiting my then-girlfriend, Jacqueline, at the time, who's now my wife. And we're at the Jersey Shore, and while we're there, my friend's father dies. And, and the funeral is going to be on a Saturday morning on the beach at 10 a.m. Friday, 5 p.m., the night before. I get a knock on my door. And it's my other friend's dad. And he says, John, um, the pastor has fallen. She's broken her leg. Do you think you could just come over and, and, and help us write the eulogy? Now, I hear this, and I go, a eulogy with the pastor? No, fine. So I go. And sure enough, you know, that's what they needed help with. I was, I, you know, I write. This is what I do. Fine. I'll go. I'll help you write this eulogy. And we worked on it for about two hours. When we're done writing the eulogy, the widow, Miss Berrien, she kind of takes her glasses off, and she looks at me, and she says, John, there's something I've been meaning to talk to you about. I said, what's up? She says, um, the pastor's actually not going to be able to do the service tomorrow. Do you think you could do it? 
to which I began rattling off all the limitations. I said, Ms. Barron, I don't do funerals. I know that sounds confusing because you know I'm in seminary, but like I write essays. That's what, that is what I don't like. I mean, I, you know, they teach me theology and church history and some Greek, but like I don't do the church side of things. I don't, I don't know the order of a service. I don't know the prayers you're supposed to say. I don't know what it's even supposed to look like. I don't like, I don't do it. That's not me. This is, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm sorry. And for the rest of my life, I will never forget the words she said next. But John, we have no one. The need was evident. The limitations were clear. <laughs> Quite clear, okay? But in this moment, I just felt like this was something that God was inviting me to do. And so I said, yeah, I'll do it. And at this point, it was about 8 o'clock at night, and I went home, and I just did what I knew how to do, right. So I sat down at the kitchen table, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I erased, and I wrote, and I Googled, and I wrote, okay, a lot of Googling, a lot of frantic, you know, prayers, dear Jesus, please, something, you know. And that next morning at 10 a.m., in front of 250 people, I just read what I wrote, and I was able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that crowd, many of whom I know for certain do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the funeral? Yes, my wife. It went fine. It was fine. It went well. I mean, as good as a funeral could be, because God showed up, and God did what only God could do. Now, here's why I tell this story. When I went home after that funeral and basically collapsed into a puddle on my couch, I distinctly remember hearing God's voice. And I don't mean audibly. I felt like his voice was in me and around me, and I just felt him saying to me, John, you may know how to write. That's what you do, he was saying. But you're going to do it inside of my church. And it dawned on me that this funeral, this need that was presented to me at that moment, it wasn't about that at all. That God was going to use this circumstance, he was going to use this need to change the very course of my life and to take my faith to a place where I never would have brought it myself, where it would have been absolutely impossible to get it there myself. And so I called my pastor right after this, and I said, well, you're not going to believe what just happened. I walked him through the whole um, funeral thing, and he goes, John, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you, while you're finishing up, we're going to give you an internship at the church. And that next month, I showed up for the internship, First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, right down the street. I showed up first day of work. They sent me to a kid's camp. <laughs> and they put me in a van, and they sent me up to this, and I didn't know anybody. And I'm in this van, and who do you think is driving this van but our very own Adam Duckworth? <laughs> and who do you think was sitting behind me, a student leader at the time, Christina Cooper. And who was in my group at that time, a, a kid who was in third grade who now volunteers this church and is getting ready to go away to college. I would have missed out on all of that if I focused on the limitations and I didn't just do the thing that I knew how to do. And so the disciples in this moment, they didn't know how to feed 5,000, but they just did what they knew how to do. And Scripture says that the people ate 
as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and the children. And you look at the scriptures, these disciples, they didn't think they were hot stuff. It wasn't like, look at us, right? Look at us. Who'd have thought, right? Not me. No. Anybody who's been through this is the same reaction. It's like, we didn't do it. This is not us, okay? Yeah, but we saw you handing out the fish. I know. I I did what I could do, but trust me, without God, none of this would have been possible. This is a faith lesson. Jesus would just walk them through. And I think, in terms of what I saw here, they passed phase one of this faith lesson with flying colors. And so Jesus says, all right, on to part two. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home, continues. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray, finally getting away to himself. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, these guys were fishermen, many of them at least. They're familiar with this lake, but it's getting bad. And they're rowing harder and harder, and it's getting scarier and scarier. And they are out there for hours, all night, because it says about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, Jesus says. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I'm here. I'm here. See, in this moment, the wheels in Peter's head start to move. All of a sudden, he's like, "Mm, something's off. This is... Something's, something's going on here. And you could see him thinking, and you could be him. He's like, you know what? It was just a couple of hours ago that we saw a big need that we couldn't handle, that, that Jesus invited us to get involved in this need, that, that we just took these little bits of bread and trusted him that he would act, and we saw something amazing. And now we're out in this boat, in this storm. This is another test. This is a lesson. And Peter pretty smart guy. He goes, I got a theory what's going on here, boys. He goes, I think, here's what I think. I think we can do anything that Jesus asks us to do. That if we just do what we know how to do, that Jesus will handle everything that we can't do. So Peter tests the theory. Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me. That's the important words here. Tell me to come to you walking on water. See, Peter figured out the lesson. He understood the lesson. He goes, this is not that we can do whatever we put our minds to. This is not that we can accomplish our wildest dreams, whatever you think of, you can do. That's the American dream. That's the power of positive thinking. You're not going to find that in the Bible. No, no, no. What Peter says here is that whenever God calls you, asks you to do something that you are incapable of doing, Whenever he invites you to go outside of your skill set, whenever he invites you to go beyond your level of expertise, beyond your experience, when he does that, all you need to do is say yes. You do what you know how to do, and he will do what you can't. So Jesus, if you invite me, I think I can walk on water. Yes, come, Jesus says. 
So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on water towards Jesus. Peter's like, I, I don't know how to walk on water, okay? That's beyond me, above my pay grade. I don't have that skill set, but I can do two things. I can get out of a boat. I know how to do that. And I do know how to walk. So if I just do what I know how to do, and I trust that Jesus will do what only Jesus can do, I think I can walk on water. Imagine if we prayed like Peter prayed. Imagine if every single one of us between we and God, we just said, God, would you invite me out of the boat? Would you invite me to live outside of my comfort zone? Would you invite me to live beyond my skill set? Would you invite me to go beyond my level of expertise? I think he's already invited some of you. You know what happens next. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, when he was reminded of what he couldn't do, he was terrified. And he began to sink, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus says. Immediately he reached out, grabbed him. He goes, you have so little faith. You have so little faith, Peter. Don't you realize this whole thing is about your faith? Don't you realize, guys, I am trying to teach you that you can trust me with what you can't do. Why did you doubt me? You began to look around at your own abilities and you took your eyes off me. I don't think Jesus was chastising these guys. I think in this moment, he's kind of like, ah, you almost had it. Peter, you were so close. Peter, you understood the lesson. You, you figured it out. You know it all. Why did you take your eyes off the ball? Story wraps up. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Six years ago, God nudged a handful of people to get out of the boat. He put on their heart this, this need to create a new church and to call it Downtown Harbor Church. He put a need on their hearts that there needed to be a place in the city of Fort Lauderdale where people who had no experience with God, who had no experience with church, or worse, had a bad experience with church, could come to and perhaps have a fighting chance at a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I can't speak for the rest of the people, but I was one of those that got that nudge. And I don't want to speak for them, but I'll just tell you, when, when I felt this nudge, I was very quick to start rattling off the limitations. Who are we to start a church? What do we know? Listen, I know we might work for a church. What do we know about running a church? Do you know how expensive it is to, 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 to run a church? You want, you want to start a church in downtown Fort Lauderdale? You think you're actually going to find a place where you can have a church in downtown? Do you know, and this is something weird to say, but how in the world are we going to compete with these massive churches all around us? And that's a weird thing to say about church, but it's true. And yet we couldn't seem to get this call off our life, this tug, this push, this invitation. So we just did what we knew how to do. And people said, you're crazy. People said you would fail. There were people who wanted us to fail. But now, almost five years later, we are here. And God is still working in a mighty and powerful way in this place. And life change is happening. And people who had no experience with church, people who had a bad experience with church, people who knew nothing about God, now come here 
and know something about Jesus Christ. And like the disciples experienced when the feeding of the 5,000 happened, I'll just tell you this, none of this was us. <laughs> Trust us, okay? The limitations were clear. But we knew the principle that if you really trusted God, that if you felt a call on your life to do something, no matter what the world might tell you, no matter what your insides are telling you, that if you just step out, if you just trust, if you just know, do what you can do, if you just take a little bit of that bread and bring it to the person you can see, God will take it from there. And that's a lesson for every single one of us. So what's the practical? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, Every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. I just have one question for you today, and then we're going to go see some cute babies, all right? One question is this. What is God nudging you to do right now? What has God been urging you to do? What has he been giving you the elbow about? And you can't stop thinking about it and you can't get it off your heart, you can't get it off your mind, and you can't stop rattling off the limitations. What is that thing that you know, that you know God wants you to do? And remember, it's not about that need. That's secondary. I'm convinced of it. God will meet that need one way or another. See, I believe what's happening in your life right now is God is challenging your faith. He wants to bring you to a new level. What would it look like in your life right now to act like those disciples? To not look at the limitations, to not look at this little bit of bread and think this ain't going to do anything, but to just do what you know how to do and say, all right, I can take it to one person. And I will just trust that God will handle all the rest. Because this story is clear and the scriptures are clear that if you do, what you can do. God will do the rest. See, the key is you don't want to focus on your limitations. You want to focus on Jesus's limitless power. God's goal in our life, this thing that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, his goal is to grow your faith, to get it to a place where you never thought it was possible. And he's going to use every method and every tactic, some exciting, some not so pleasant, but he's going to do whatever he can do. He's going to leverage every situation. He's going to leverage anything he can to bring your faith to a new level. Because when your faith grows, when it becomes unshakable and unstoppable, your intimacy with him grows. And when you firmly believe that God is in charge of your life, when you firmly believe that he is in control of your life, that he has a plan in your life, let me tell you something, through him, you could change the world. But it just takes you taking that first step and saying, all right, I trust you. I trust you. Here I am. Use me. Use me. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could all be here today to just hear a little bit from your scripture, God. And, and I know, I know, that there are people in this room right now who are in a tug of war with you. That you have placed a need on their hearts, Lord, that you want them to act, and it's just nothing but excuses, nothing but limitations, but Lord, that's part of being human. And I pray right now that you would give them the strength 
to get their eyes off what they can't do and put their eyes on what you can do. Don't worry about the end goal, Lord. Help us to just focus on taking that first step and having the faith that you will handle the rest. God, I pray that each and every single one of us can, can pray like Peter. Lord, that you would invite us onto that water, into the areas of our life that look a little scary, Lord. And I pray that every single one of our faiths can grow to a level that perhaps we never thought possible. And Lord, whatever it is that you do through us, we will be careful to give you the glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name.